Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. That was awkward, sorry. Hey guys, I'm Connie. <laughs> that was supposed to be the start. I'm one of the co-leaders here at Awaken. There's five of us that help lead here at Awaken, and I'm privileged to be one of those. So, how is everybody doing tonight? Philip always asks that question, so I thought I would ask to see if I got a better response. Great. Yes, <laughs> that's more people that responded. So I'm gonna let him know that people really answer, they answered me this time. So I'm doing good as well, even though no one asked, I am doing good. And Philip always complains about that too, so we're even there. But <laughs> what was that? You asked, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. That's why you're my mom though, so it kind of goes with it. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so no, I'm doing good, but this time of year for me, I found is a time where I just get really introspective, really self-reflective. And I think it's because there's just a lot of big moments that happen this time of year in our family. One of them being that school starts. I have four kids, so that makes it a little bit crazy. And it always comes as a shock to us that school is ready to start again and summer's over. Like, I don't know why, but we're always shocked that summer's over already so soon. So that comes with all the emotions of something new and starting a new school year, and it's just busy getting school supplies and all that stuff. So that plays a part. But then also, a couple weeks after school starts, I celebrate my anniversary. This year, my husband and I celebrated 18 years, and yes, please clap, because those of you who are married know that that was not easy, 18 years, and there's a lot more to go, and it's great, and I love you, <laughs> but it's hard work, right? <laughs> Marriage is hard work, so this is a time of year where I reflect on that, but then three days after my 18-year anniversary, my oldest daughter turned 14, so now I'm like, whoa, what happened? She was just a baby yesterday, and now she's 14. So you add that, and then three weeks after she turns 14, I have my birthday. And this year, I'm turning 38. I know. <laughs> it feels old to me. I have a 14-year-old. I've been married 18 years. Yes, if you do the math, that means I was 19 when I got married. And life just is going fast. And I feel, I feel the last couple of years, I just feel that, you know, like, like my span, my window of time is getting smaller. My window of time to make a difference, my window of time to get this whole parenting thing right, my window of time to build a stronger, better marriage, my, my window of time just to make a difference in the world is getting smaller. And I feel that each year, like I'm, I'm running out of time. And I don't want to live in that moment of running out of time, but I want to realize that I am. Does that make sense? So this time of year just brings about those emotions in me, and I think about that stuff, and I'm reflective on it. And I start to ask myself questions. Like, I've been given this gift of life. I've been given this opportunity to serve Jesus. What am I doing with it? Am I leaving a legacy or am I building a bunch of regrets 
What am I going to look back on? What, am I, what is my family going to look back on? I'm asking those questions. I also find over the last few years that I just have less to say. I, f- I think I've found the older I get, as I get older, that I realize the power of words. I realize how they can build someone up, how they can lead someone, but how they can hurt someone. And I find that I just have less to say because I want to make sure that what I say has value. So I just keep I'm having this journey of looking into myself and finding these, these things and realizing this place that I'm in life. And the older I get, the world, the, the world gets smaller, so to speak, right? Like I realize that I'm not the only person in it and that the whole world doesn't revolve around this sphere that I'm in, right? It's bigger than me. So I see that more. I realize that more. And sometimes <laughs> I think we all realize it, but it's just easy to overlook the obvious, right? But the older I get, the more I think about these things, the more I try to ponder these things and change some things. And as I was studying this week for this message, God really brought that to mind and really reminded me why I I was doing that, why I do that each year. So last week, we started a new series. Philip started it for us. It's called Kings and Kingdoms, right? Yeah, okay. Kings and Kingdoms. And this week... Well, Philip set us up last week. He actually gave us a little bit of an intro into who we're talking about this week. This week, we're talking about King Saul. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Philip say that a good portion of the kings, of Israel's kings, were not good kings. Saul was not a good king. So needless to say, we're hopefully going to try to learn from his mistakes tonight because he made a lot of them. And uh, as I was thinking about that and pondering that, I knew that the Lord had something to say to us tonight in those mistakes. And so God's a God of redemption, and Saul's life is going to be redeemed, is being redeemed, has been redeemed, and we get to learn from that part. We get to be a part of that redemption. So we find King Saul's story. Sorry, guys, I have a little bit of a cough, so I'm sucking on a cough drop to try not to cough. So if it's annoying, yeah, just say, but I'll keep sucking on the cough drop (laughs) because I have a feeling me coughing would make it worse. So we find Saul's story in 1 Samuel. Um, It starts in chapter 8, and then it goes through the end of the chapter. We obviously don't have time to cover all of his story, so we're going to do the Cliff Notes version tonight. So he was the first king of Israel, right? We found that out last week. If you missed that, go back and listen to it, because it gives some details that we don't have time tonight. Um, He was the first king of Israel, and he started out kind of timid and scared of his role. But as he began to trust the Lord, he embraced that role, And for a while, he allowed God to guide him, and things went well. He built an army, he defeated enemies, and he gained favor of the people. But as he got older, he began to listen to the demands of the people more than he began to listen to God's voice. He began to like the prestige and the power of being king. And he started to disobey the Lord. He became deceitful, prideful, arrogant, Uh, He doubted God. He was foolish. He was jealous. All of these things. He even tried to kill his own son. And then in the end, Saul's sons died in battle, and Saul was next. And instead of being killed by the enemy, he decided to fall on his own sword. So that's how his life ends. his, His life ends by him taking it and dying next to his sons on a battlefield. And as I was studying and comparing my life to Saul's, 
I was like, well, I have two things that I can come up with, two conclusions in this. I can either say Saul's life was a mess. Thank God my life is so much better than his right now. Or I can check into reality and say, you know what? I'm just one bad decision away from joining him in his ending. So what happened? How did Saul get there? And how do I keep from ending the way Saul did? As I said, there's so much to Saul's life, and you can study it, you should study it on your own. Chapter, chapters 8 through 31, I believe, in 1 Samuel, go through that. But when I was studying, the thing that stuck out to me the most, that amazed me the most, was how, if, how did he end up the way he did? Maybe he was not set up well to be king. But that's not true. Like, God went to great lengths to show Saul that he was capable of being king, that God was going to be with him, and that he could do it. So what happened? But first, let's look at that. Um, so you see, we come across Saul in chapter 8, and he's running around the countryside because his family lost some donkeys, and he was sent to find them. So he's running around. Three days, I think, he's looking for these donkeys, so they must have been really valuable. So they're searching for donkeys, the countryside of Israel, and they run into Samuel, the prophet Samuel. Samuel, long story short, Samuel basically looks at Saul and says, Oh, hey, nice to meet you. God says you're going to be the first king of Israel. And Saul's like, um, what? Like, I, uh, I'm not really king material. And Samuel says, yes, you are, because God said you were. And then we pick up in chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll find out what happens next. So verse 1, Then Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head, Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord appointed you to be the prince, to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and the... I'm sorry. And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Verse 2. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Okay, so Samuel obeys the Lord. He anoints Saul as king, but he didn't just anoint him. Did you get that? He like spoke truth over him in the name of the Lord, right? He commissioned him. He anointed him. He commissioned him into this role as king. And then he says, God is going to give you three signs to prove that you, that this is for you. You are going to be king of Israel. God's going to give you these three signs. So the first sign we just read, right? What did it say? You would meet two men as you leave, and they'll tell you your donkeys are found. All right, cool. What does that mean? So God said this is a sign. So what does that mean? What, either lost donkeys are found. What is God trying to tell him? God's telling him this. God can solve problems. He's saying, I can solve your problems, Saul. Are you paying attention? I can solve your problems. Pay attention to that. Okay? Then we pick up in verse 3. Then you shall go from, he, from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. All right, that's sign number two, okay? He says you'll meet these three men, and they're carrying goats, bread, and wine. 
They're going to give you two loaves of bread. You take it. So that's sign number two. Well, okay, God, what does that mean? What do you think God's saying? God's saying, Saul, I can supply your needs. I can take care of you. Okay, so sign number one was what? I can solve your problems. I know it was up there for a split second. My bad. <laughs> I can solve your problems. Sign number two is I can supply your needs. God can supply your needs, okay? So we'll pick up in verse five. It says, after that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre, before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So that's verses 5 and 6. And in verses 5 and 6, we find the third sign, the third thing that God tells Saul to prove to him that he is capable of this job. So he meets these men who are prophesying. Before this point, Saul didn't know, how, he didn't prophesy. He didn't know much about God. So the Holy Spirit empowered him, and he was able to worship and prophesy with these men. And that was the third sign. So what does this show us? What does this show Saul? It shows him that through the Holy Spirit, God can give him strength. God gives us strength. God can give strength. So he's telling Saul, I can supply your needs, I can give you strength, and I can solve your problems. These are three signs to help you see that if you take hold of these, if you allow me to work these in your life, you can do this. You've got this. You can be king of Israel. And, ooh, that just disappeared. Oh, all right, there it is. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's all there. Not, we'd be doing this from memory. That'd be fun. So just for fun, on top of that, God says, I can supply your needs. I can give you strength. I can solve your problems. But just for fun, funsies, my kids like to say, just for funsies, we're going to jump to verse 9, and it says, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. So the signs happened, and they proved what God said they would. But then, just on top of that, God says, look, I know you worked the land with your father. I know that um, you didn't think you would be king. But I'm going to give you another heart. And here, that refers to what it means by that. It's, it means like a calling or a purpose. So he says, I'm going to change your heart. And I'm going to give you a calling. I'm going to give you my calling. I'm going to give you a purpose. And it's going to be that I'm going to help you and we're going to lead the people of Israel. So... All Saul had to do, right? He, he was given the three signs. He was given a new heart, a new calling for this. All he had to do was just do that, right? To accept what the Lord had offered him, and he was going to be able to do this. And that just proves that God set him up to succeed. He didn't set him up to fail, right? He was given every opportunity to be a successful king in Israel. Yet the account we read, he ends his life falling on his sword. So how did this happen? If God set him up well, then it wasn't God that failed, right? 
It was Saul. He did all the failing on his own. So what happened? When we study different Bible characters, it's kind of easy to pick the ones that finish well to compare ourselves to, right? Like we want to study the ones that have great successes. We want to study the ones that make mistakes but yet come back from that. And we read they're finishing well. But we don't often want to compare ourselves to the Saul's that fall on their swords, that end in defeat. We don't want to do that. But I can't help but think when I compared the two this week with my own life, that there's pieces of my life that match up with Saul's. So what keeps me from ending up like Saul? How do I keep from ending up in the same place that Saul did? You know, I didn't grow up here. Most of you know that. I grew up, spent my teenage years in a small town in Pennsylvania, so that is where I learned to drive. One stoplight, big country roads, no traffic, very small town, right? Well, needless to say, I did move around a lot, but they were all small towns. Needless to say, when I moved here, it was like driving culture shock. This place is nuts. It's crazy. And then to top it all off, you, it's such a hodgepodge here of people that you get like literally every state's driving technique in one place. And then it's just luck of the draw who you're behind or in front, right? Like you don't know, like where are you from? Because we don't do that where I'm from. Like, do you know how to merge? Come on. No, you don't stop at the on-ramp, but some people do, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, but it's just crazy. But I live off of independence. So independence, everybody's familiar with independence, is a pretty big road. And in some places, where I am, it's four lanes, two going in each direction. So there's no light. So to get across independence, what you have to do, if I want to go south on independence, I have to cross the two northbound lanes, and then there's a median, right? And then I can turn left onto the southbound lanes, okay? So I am not kidding you when I tell you that I've probably seen that done 50 different ways. No one knows how to do that. Well, according to me, they don't know how to do it because obviously my way is right, right? So no one knows how to get across that street. Sometimes we'll sit forever because the person in front thinks they have to go all the way across in one turn. No, you can stop in the middle. No, you don't stop on the left. You stop on the right. That kind of thing. Like, it's crazy. So what I found from this is I am very impatient, I am very impatient. Like, I could be sitting there for two minutes, just two minutes, and I'm, like, shaking because no one is doing it right, and it's driving me crazy. Like, I'm just very impatient. I want everybody to do it my way. I don't care if they want to tell me how they do it. I want them to hear my way and then do it because I'm impatient, and let's go. Let's move, right? Like, impatience is a big deal when I'm at the end of my street trying to turn out. And guys, I think that's where Saul ended up. I think that's how he ended up where he did. Because he was impatient. And impatience led him down this road where he became deceptive, telling lies to the prophet Samuel, right? Who is hearing from God. Like, it's obvious. He's becoming arrogant and prideful, and he's so jealous. And in the end, this is causing him to forsake his calling to give up that new heart that God gave him because he's severely impatient. God gave him three signs when he was king. He said, I can solve your problems, right? What else did he say? What's the second sign? I can solve your problems, I can 
supply your needs and I can give you strength. All you have to do is let me. And Saul decided, you know what? You're taking too long, God. I asked you how to do this, and it's taken too long. You didn't give me the answer I wanted. It hurts too much. It's too hard. I'm afraid, and I'm tired of waiting for you. So I'm just not anymore. All, all he had to do, all God said was just walk with me, listen to me, follow me, and we've got this. And he said, it's too hard. I'm tired of waiting. I don't want to sit here any longer. And all that did was lead him down a road of deception, jealousy, arrogance, anger, all of it, you name it, that's where it led him. And we think, right, these are just simple phrases. God, I'm tired of waiting. God, this is too hard. Those aren't bad things to say, but I guarantee you, you repeat them over and over and over again, they take hold of your heart, and it begins to harden your heart. We say these things, don't we? I've said multiple times, God, this is too painful. I don't want to sit here anymore. God, you're too slow. God, I know you're God. I know you know what's coming next. Yes, I still think I know what's, better, what's best because you aren't moving quick enough. Obviously, you don't know what's going on because I would have moved myself out of this situation long before now. It's too hard. They take root, and they take over, and they steal this new heart that God gave us, this new calling. It takes our purpose, it takes our calling, and it hardens us, and we no longer hear, right? When God speaks to us, we no longer hear him, because we've decided that we can do it on our own. Saul decided that he could do it on his own. And if we look at his life, we see that it ends in destruction, right? God, I asked you for answers, and you didn't give them. You didn't give them how I think you should have. It's too long. We stop listening. Our impatience, 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 that word, it causes us to like push through and make decisions. They might not seem wrong, right? Like this is, a good, this is a good road for me to take, but it wasn't the one God wanted you to take in that moment. And where does it lead you? It forces us to try to fix things that aren't ready to be fixed. Our impatience keeps us from hearing the Lord, keeps us from letting him develop our character. And it keeps us from fulfilling our calling, just like it did Saul. I think the biggest thing that I've learned so far in my life, and I said I'm old, all 38 years, the biggest thing I think I've learned is I want to look at things in good times and bad times, mountaintop experiences and valleys, right? Guys, I don't think, I don't think God looks at things that way. I think he sees every situation in life the same whether it's a mountaintop experience, a valley, a hard time, a scary time, an easy time, a good time, they're all the same to him because in every time, he's teaching us something. 
He wants to reveal something. He wants to mold and shape us. But we say, oh, this is a hard time. This is a scary time. This is a slow time. God must not want me in this time, right? Come on, God, I'm not supposed to be here. And he's like, wait, guys, I know my promises. I said I would give you what you need. I said I can solve your problems. And I said I would give you strength. You have to trust me. But we don't want to sit there, right? We, we're impatient in those hard times. And we, we look at our experiences as like zigzags, up and down, up and down, up and down. But God sees a flat line. They're all the same to him. He's teaching us something in all these situations. But our impatience keeps us from that. And yeah, God, God's just like every other parent. We don't want our kids to be in pain, right? God isn't rejoicing that we're in pain. But he remembers his promises. He knows his promises. He knows what he promised us. And he wants to teach us something in those moments. He wants to offer us hope. If we would sit still long enough and let, us, let him hold us, right? Sometimes I think the biggest thing that's really helped me in life when I'm in a painful situation is when someone just wrapped their arms around me and gave me a big hug. Like, it doesn't, they don't need words sometimes. Sometimes that, in that hug, you feel the hope, right? Like, okay, I've got this. Thank you. And I offer that to my kids, my friends, my families. Yeah, I'm not a big hugger, but it doesn't mean that I don't need hugs and that they don't help me in the moment, right? So God's kind of the same way. He wants to hold us. And it's in that holding that he offers us hope. But our impatience wants us to bypass that holding and we miss the opportunity to have this kind of hope that's in the holding, right? That's what God offers in the hope. But I think we also miss peace, right? How do we miss peace? Saul did too. How did we miss this peace? Because I think we're always searching for answers. We want answers. And we think that answers and peace are the same. If I have answers, I will have peace. God says, no, I offer you peace even without the answers. You just have to quit trying to find the answers and be still long enough to accept the peace I give you. Saul chose not to do that. You know, every decision Saul made, every lie he told, every time he took matters into his own hands and said, I've got this, God, you're too slow. I'm not listening anymore. I'm leaving what you said behind because I can do it on my own every time. He did that. This is a big statement, but I think it's true. Every time he did that, he changed the course of Israel's history. I think we have that kind of power. Are you... Catching what I'm saying here? I think we have that kind of power. Every time I say, no, God, you're wrong, it doesn't just affect me. It affects the history around me, what I'm the legacy that I'm creating. It affects that, which then means that it affects other people that I'm in contact with. We, we hold that kind of power. Our impatience can change the course of history. But our acceptance of God's help. Because you notice all these statements say can, right? God can do these things, but he's not going to jump in and do it 
unless you ask him and allow him to. He's not that bossy. But our impatience can change the course of history. And this gives me goosebumps to think about. Literally, every time I think about it, as I was working on this, I just got goosebumps and even tears at points. But this August is an anniversary for us, my family. Um, This past August, the middle of August, marked 11 years since we've moved down here to start this movement, this work here in Virginia Beach. And I was reminded of that as I was working through this and the way that God connected these things for me just really, oh, yeah, it really, really spoke to me. So we, at the beginning of the summer in 2008, We were living in Indiana, so we moved to Ohio and moved into my parents' basement to live there for a few months before we moved down here. And as we were living in Ohio, we had a three-year-old and a newborn, and we were um, doing odd jobs. Mike was working on roofs, not his thing, right? So you knew that he was doing what God called him to do, to get here, doing whatever he could to get here. We were fundraising anything we could to make money to move down here because God gave our family a new heart, a new calling. And he said, I'm calling you to the people of Hampton Roads, to the place of Hampton Roads, and I want you to go. So July comes around and we get down here to find a place to live, not to move yet. We weren't moving till August. And we find a place and we realize real quick that it costs a lot of money to live in Virginia Beach, a lot more than Northeast Ohio. So we found a place to rent over in Lake Edward. $1,050 was the rent for this place, which was pretty good for around here. And luckily, the landlord liked us right off the bat. She only knew us for a couple hours and said, here, I'll tell you what, I want you guys to have this place. So just give me the, um, the deposit and you don't have to pay your first month's rent till you get here. Usually they want them both up front. She said, I'll let you go back, come back in a month with your first month's rent. It's like, all right, that's a blessing. We're going to take that because I don't have it to give you. So here's your 1050 and we're going to work on the other 1050 We go back to Ohio. We're there for another month, two days before we're supposed to move here. Um, moving trucks packed all during this time. My husband gets calls on the phone. Hey, we have an opening at our church. You should come work for us. That sounds like a really good position, but no, God called me to Virginia Beach. I'm not going to do that hey, are you really sure you should go down there? It's not working out that great. Like, things are, it's slow moving. There's no one going with you. You had a team, now you have no one. Are you still going to go? Yes, we're going to go because God called us there. We'll be patient and wait. And then (laughs) two days before we're supposed to leave, the truck is packed in my parents' driveway. We're still short $1,050. And we're like, well, we're going. We've been looking for jobs, but we didn't have a job. Nothing lined up still, so we're moving down here with a three-year-old and at that time a three-month-old, no work, and we're still 1,050. We're like, she said she liked us, maybe she'll give us a couple extra weeks. I don't know, but we're going the nine and ten hours down there with a moving truck. We're going. In the morning, we're leaving. Well, the mailman came, he came later in the day that day, and I went up to the mailbox and just got the mail, and I was shifting through, and there was a letter in the mail addressed to me, so I opened it, and a check fell out and I had to pick it up off the ground. 
I picked it up and I looked at the check and the check was for $1,050. The night before we're supposed to go. Just listen for a second. I have goosebumps. What if we had said, we don't have the money. We are not going, God. What if we had said, I don't trust you to provide. This other job is going to pay me right now. I'm going to go do that. What if we have the power in our impatience to change the course of history. Because guys, if we had said no, and I'm not trying to be arrogant, please don't hear that. If we had said no, we would not be sitting in this room right now. We would not be sitting in this room right now. If other people who had said, I believe in what you guys are doing, God is calling me to this too, had not joined us, had not been patient and waited for the Lord when it looked like it was absolutely nuts. If they had not done that, we would not be sitting in this room right now. Are you getting what I'm saying? Are you understanding? Like we have the power to change the course of history with our impatience for the negative. But we also have the power to say, yes, God, I know you can do those things and I'm asking you to do them. And I'm willing to wait. And I'm going to let you hold me And I'm going to take the hope that's offered in that. And I'm willing to not move for a while, but take the peace that you offer in that not moving. Because I know that you gave me a new heart. You gave me a calling. And these other choices, they weren't bad choices, right? Another church, that's not a bad choice, but it wasn't the one God called us to. And God brought that together in my mind and in my heart this week, and I was like, that's crazy. That's crazy. So many people, it wasn't just us, so many people sacrificed and said, we believe in the calling. We are going to be patient. Because if you're a part of Awaken long enough, you know It's slow moving, huh? Not many people do church the way we do it, right? And it's slow moving. And when you're reaching your neighbors and living with your neighbors on mission, it's slow. But there's beauty in it. And there's purpose. And we have the opportunity to build into that legacy or to take away from it. And all it takes is a little bit of patience. Saul did not have that patience. He lived a turbulent life, right? He traded his calling. He traded his calling. Because he was too impatient to wait on the Lord. Too arrogant to wait on the Lord. How do we keep from coming to the same end as Saul? Because I don't want to end up there. How do we keep from coming to the same end? We're going to answer this question in this next part of worship. We're going to move into worship now, into song again. But here at Awaken, we do things a little different. If you haven't already noticed, We don't just worship in song. We offer you different ways to practice worship. We have different stations set up 
We have the cross, the confession rock station, and we have the um, station for communion. But here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to use this time to ask yourself this question. How do I not end up like Saul? Well, we've got to find ways to listen more, right? We've got to find ways to just stop talking, to have less to say, right? And start listening. We need to find ways and space to be still, to allow ourselves to be held, right? We need to ask ourselves, do I only run to God when I'm already in need of help or am I attached to him even when I feel like everything's okay? So in this time, maybe when you're using the communion station, instead of just grabbing the bread, dipping it in, saying a little prayer and walking on, not that there's anything wrong with that, maybe you need to sit and say, God, just hold me for a minute as I reflect on the hope that's offered in this representation. Through your sacrifice, the hope that I have. Just hold me and give me some hope. There's different things that separate us from God, right? They get a foothold. The more we say those phrases over and over again, the more they take root in our heart. And they separate us. They begin that separation between us and God. Maybe we need to spend time at the confession station. Say, God, show me where I'm being impatient. What do I need to change? Please forgive me. As we always say, everyone always says it, there's no magic in the rocks. There's no magic in the, in the water. But the representation of writing down on this rock what is separating you from the Lord and washing it away is so, the representation of Jesus doing that for us is so true. Because in this moment, we have the opportunity to start fresh, to start over when we say, God, please take this from me. Remove this separation so that, remove this impatience so that I can move forward in you. Or maybe you just need to spend some time at the cross. Ask the, ask the Lord to reveal to you where you're being impatient. What situation in my life do I need to just say, God, it's yours, and I'm just going to sit and be still and trust that you can solve my problems, that you can take care of my needs, and that you will give me strength to get through this when I feel like I can't. Write it down and put it on the cross as a statement to say, from this moment on, this is yours, no longer mine. And I'm going to rest in knowing that you've already got this. So as we worship, as you use the stations, ask yourself those questions. Ask the Lord to reveal to you what it is that's separating you, the situations where you're being impatient. God, I'm just amazed at the calling you give us. God, we're like Saul in the beginning God, really? I can't do that. And you say, let me prove it to you. These are the signs. God, help us trust that you can solve our problems if we let you. Help us trust that you can supply our needs 
in the way you see fit if we let you. And God, help us trust that you're there with us, that you give us strength to walk through these times. God, as we worship, help us not to be afraid to ask the hard questions. And God, please speak to our hearts where we need to change so that we don't trade our calling in, God, so that we don't forsake our calling because we're just a little bit too impatient. God, help us to hear you. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.